0: Wow, that, that, that was good. That was so good, man. Just that idea that God doesn't just invite us to a good day, a 24-hour day. He invites us to an eternal day, a day that does not end, where there's no longer the light of the sun and the moon, but the light of the Son of God, and that we experience it in our hearts today. Man, that's good man AFI you haven't signed up for our trunk or treat yet and you say well does your church believe in Halloween I do know no, we don't believe in Halloween I mean yeah come on come on we believe in candy and kids you know we believe we're in the world and uh, and so you know we we go to the same restaurants we we experience the same holidays but we're not of the world and so but we know there's kids out there and families out there so we want to give them some candy so let me invite you to to do a trunk. Real easy, you got a little card on your, on your seat there. Just QR code that with your camera and sign up and do it. And I know you're thinking, well, I really don't have um, any ideas of what I should dress up. You know, I dressed up one time as Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. It was a onesie suit. <laughs> it looked like a creeper. I mean, I, I really did it. I, I, when I saw the pictures of it, you know after it was over I was like how did you let me do this so let me encourage you if you don't have any ideas you don't have to just show up with your Winnebago if that's what you're driving just show up back it up and just have some candy and and it will be uh, great uh, but we can also give you some ideas um, but you know I, I'm just so happy I, I'm happy for Sarah and Walker uh, what God's doing there and um, it's just an amazing thing you know what I do when I get happy some people get all you know. Stop. I start telling dad jokes. Okay. I, 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 my kids will be like, they can tell I'm in a good mood. I'm going to have to, I'm going to tell this joke. You know, I'm going to tell it. You can't stop me. Okay. You know, when I, it's a dad joke is when it becomes apparent. Uh, <laughs> I learned that in the bathroom today. I was telling a bad joke. I was telling a parent joke, and yeah. But here was the original joke, and, and you can know this is a really good day. Uh, I was counseling a guy this week, you know, and I deal with all kinds of addictions. And this guy came in, and, and he, had a, he had this addiction of drinking brake fluid. Wow. Yeah, yeah, brake fluid. Yes, yes, he drank brake fluid. And I was really concerned. He said, Don't worry, Pastor, I can stop anytime. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I tell you, this, see, it's parent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, welcome to our series about being framed by God. And we've been learning about, uh, Ricky did a great job last week talking about how we need to frame our fram- families in the grace and the truth of God. And we talked about how we've been framed by grace that is through the sacrifice of christ on the cross that a frame before the foundations of the world that he framed an invitation so that our pictures the picture of our lives could be put in this frame if we choose to accept jesus christ as our lord and savior but he's already done the framing and invites us to be within the frame of grace and it's from this framing of safety that it restores value to me. It restores, um, it changes the way that I live. I don't live the way, I don't live a Christian life in order to get framed. I, 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 I didn't try to stop cussing. And I said the word try. I didn't try to stop cussing because I wanted to go to heaven I, or to get God to like me. But I changed the way that I, I live through the power of the Holy Spirit because I've already been framed in this incredible grace. And I just want to honor that that incredible gift. I am framed holy to live holy. I am framed love so that I can live in love and I can give love. I am framed by God so I can become more like Christ. And I am framed in forgiveness for all the days that I don't get it right. And that's the way when we're in Christ, we're just framed. And you know, parents, parents don't throw away picture frames with kids in it. You know, I mean, it's like they're hanging on walls. They put it in significant places. And through the grace of God, we have been invited into a significant place. That's a relationship with him. And then one day, even in heaven. So as image bearers, we we do some of our own framing. We're pretty good at framing. Um, We subjectively frame ourselves and others. We, we kind of just, you know, you go to a party and you have an experience there and then within 30 seconds, you frame the person. Oh, this person doesn't like me. This person's a jerk. This person thinks they're better than me. Well, that's funny. I had all negative framing there, but some, maybe we frame based upon the presuppositions of our mind and what we think of ourselves. I went to AutoZone yesterday and I had bought something online and, and I went to pick it up. And when I was in AutoZone, I went to pick it up, say, yeah, I'm here to pick up an order. And the guy says, no. As soon as I walk in the door, he said, no. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean, no? I got, the, like, I, yeah. I said, no, I'm here to pick it up. I already did it on Friday. We didn't do it. I don't see it on my computer. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, and by the time this five to ten minute interchange is over, um, I've got my phone in his face, and he's telling me, sir, I need you to back up. Okay? And then now... <laughs> Well, it's like what happened there, you know. Now, first of all, it really wasn't in his face, but I had it up. He didn't want to see it anymore. I'm like, here it is. There's a barcode. Just scan it. We'll tell you where the package is. It's where it's at, you know, and all this other stuff. And and, and, and so he's like, no. And then he walked over and saw that the package was sitting there, didn't have all the contents in it. And I asked him, you know, I'm not signing it until all the contents. I uh, have everything. He's like, well, that's all we had. Well, and I said, could you go back and take a look one more time? And sure enough, there was the rest of the contents. He goes, well, maybe it couldn't fit it in the bag. So I took the con- thing. And and put it in the bag and I'm like I'm like dude you ain't even trying you know and so I, I don't know if I was correct but I don't know if I framed him in grace okay so we all do that we'll frame somebody as an idiot and Christ told us not to do that we'll, uh, we'll and it doesn't take long but we all do it subjectively we could be totally wrong but you know what's even more evident is that we all frame God we do we frame him most people regardless of their exposure to biblical literature frame God and it seems to be something very intrinsic about all humanity that's why no matter where you go on the planet whether it's voodoo superstition um idol worship whatever it may be it is all verification that there is a human predilection to frame a concept of God I mean it's like built into us to frame a concept of God. Whether we frame him into our lives or whether we frame him out of the universe, God is someone we all have to make a decision about and then we all begin to frame. And and let me just encourage you, if you have a friend that's an agnostic, somebody who's not really sure about the whole God thing or somebody who's atheistic, please, Please, we're going to use some math today. We're going to use some science today. Please send them. We have a YouTube channel, Crosstown Church YouTube channel. Send them this link, okay, because this is, this is really going to speak to them. Um, but I would like to take it a step further about framing God being important. My favorite author, if you want to read anybody that really will talk God to you, is A.W. Tozer. And he said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I mean, just think about it. What you think about God will determine how you do a lot of things, how you'll do marriage, how you do property, how you will deal with your money, how you deal with sex. I mean, it will will impact everything and we tend by some law of the soul, the human soul, to move toward or away from our mental image of God. And everybody here today, you could be totally irreligious, You could be, you just was dragged here because the threat of not getting lunch was held over you. You know, no more puritanical being dangled over the fires of hell with Jonathan Edwards, but rather you're being dangled over. You're not getting any pot roast unless you come with mama to church. And so, regardless, you have a framework in your mind about the concept of God. And this framing is so important. That's why God starts off the. Ten Commandments with four commandments calling us to frame him rightly. I mean, we don't think that about God, but don't you, aren't you concerned about how people frame you? You can say all day long, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me, and I don't care what people think about me. I was like, okay, yeah, you're probably so wounded that you came up with that conclusion. Um, uh, and, or maybe you're now lonely because nobody likes you because of your attitude, but, but God, we really care about what people think about us, and there's nothing wrong with that. It can, it can go crazy, but... I want to make sure you understand me rightly today. Today, I'm working really hard to make sure you understand me, that you read me right, that you get me. Isn't that, isn't that what we say when we finally figure out somebody, hey, they, they get me, or maybe in an older term, we're a kindred spirit. That's where your framing of yourself and, your, and the framing of another person lay perfectly over each other. But we all want to be thought of rightly. And there's no reason for us to think that God doesn't want us to think rightly. And the Ten Commandments actually expose that. Exodus 22, verse 2 says this. Then God spoke all these words saying, and here's he's framing, he wants them to get this framing right. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. One, you shall have no other gods before me. This is going to be a solo picture. There's not two or three of us, there's gonna be one. This picture is going to be a solo picture. Two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. I just love the way God communicates this through Moses because it's like he wants to make sure every geographical location is covered that any place where you could possibly be, I don't want you thinking differently about me. I, I, wanna, I want you to think rightly about, and I, and I think about this engrave and image thing, and it's like, I don't want you making for yourself a wrong uh, impression or idea or framing about me. The third one was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, it is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. See, God wants to be thought rightly of. And then all the other commandments come after this. Why? Because the other commandments will look kind of screwy a little bit, a little mess up. If you don't think about God rightly first, the second half of the the Ten Commandments begin to kind of get a little bit iffy and you're not exactly sure about it. And I know that we're an evolved society. Um... Uh, it's, uh, okay. When I th- thought of the word evolved, I thought of being an English accent. I don't know why we think English when we, you know, like you're from English if you're evolved, but it just reminded me of a, fo- a, uh, a dad joke. Um, what do owls in England say? Whom. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm telling you, I, I'm, just, I'm just having way too good of a day here. Okay, I'll be here till Thursday, so. Okay, I know we're so evolved beyond totem poles and, engra- and golden calves and statues to de- uh, deities, but we still have engraven concepts of God in our minds or in our ideologies. That's what an, what an image can become today is an Ideology. This is what I think about God. This is what I have in my head about God. We begin to frame an engraved image, an idea or a concept of God. Every one of us have an ideology, an image of what we think God is about. And we tend to reduce our imagination about God to manageable terms. He's as big and small as we think he is. He's as good or evil as we tend to measure good or evil. He's, I mean, we, we, we think God should send uh, Hitler to hell, but not me to hell. I'm just lying and I'm just, you know, gossiping and I'm a little jealous. And so I have an image of God that will, uh, you know, uh, take care of Hitler, but maybe give me a way out. Um, It's really interesting that God creates us in his image and now what we're doing is returning him the favor and we're we're recreating him in our image. That out of our position of, of perspective, we are recreating our own concept of God. How you frame God is so important. I believe this, what comes to your mind when you think about God will predict with certainty the outcome of your spiritual future. What you think about God will predict the outcome of your spiritual future. Our response to worship, um, our attitude towards scripture, your, our choices to love uh, or forgive or not to forgive, to, gi- uh, to give to another person or to serve. All this flows out of or doesn't flow out of a high or low opinion of God. You know, a lot of times us pastors, we, we got to get people to work in the nursery and, or maybe work at the cafe, and I, I want to give a shout out to um, the team for the great coffee that they made for us today. But I, And so what a pastor normally does, we'll do a series on serving. I mean, so what we'll do is we'll frame serving for you, and then, oh, I need to be, and that's just cool, that's great, and I've done that. Um, or maybe we'll be running low, and it's like, eh, you know, I just sold the budget, we need to, We need to get more money. We need to do a series on tithing. So we'll frame tithing for you. But really, the the issue is this, is that whatever your concept of God is will determine what flows out of your life. It's not that you've got a bad attitude about serving. It's not about you have a low attitude about giving. It's that it's possibly that we have a low attitude or opinion of God. See, my wife is an amazing, beautiful, intellectual, elegant human being. But I'm not faithful to her because of any of those framings. I, I, I am not faithful to her because I, I am uh, like genetically endowed with monogamy, that I just kind of one of those guys who doesn't cheat. No, I am one of those guys that kinds of cheats. I'm one of those guys that, that at times wants to cheat. And say, well, why don't you cheat? Because you got marriage framed so tightly? I got a really good, my framing's pretty good on, on marriage. But, I, but is it because your wife is, you know, f- framed so well and looks so beautiful and is so smart and you know let you buy this when you buy that and stuff? No, that's not it. It's because my framing of God is really high. He is the Lord of heaven. He is my savior, my redeemer. He's the king. And he gets to call it. And he says, husbands, love your wives as I love the church and gave my life for. Her. It's like boom. My high opinion of God is why I serve. My high opinion of God is why I give. But as our opinion of God diminishes, it's funny, all the other framings begin to break a little bit. See, I don't think that America has necessarily a gender crisis. I don't think America necessarily has a marriage crisis. So we could measure those things. We could frame that story narrative i think all those framings are breaking because america has lost a high framing of the opinion of god you know because all those other opinions really don't matter until you get the framing of god right so when we approach the framing of god and what you think about god i'm going to ask that today that a little humility uh, be recommended and if and if you're listening today and you're an agnostic or an atheist I'm going to invite you into this moment of humility. Um, And I'm going to use science and mathematics to kind of loosen you up a little bit on this concept of humility. Uh, And the reason why we need to have humility is because most of the time, our experiences, our perceptions and our point of reference will affect the outcome of, of what we think. you're an atheist and you're into quantum, Schrodinger's cat. You know exactly what I'm referring to and you can kind of work that out a little bit. But the concept is there. So let me supply you with a little bit of humility on the issue and I'm going to show you a video clip from one of my favorite YouTube channels. And I ask that, you know, kind of thank this guy for for what he supplied to us here today and uh, Vertasium. Check it out, subscribe to it, it's absolutely amazing. It's it's not Christian or unchristian, it's just good science. But I want you to see how your perception may not be as solid or as reliable as you may think.
1: Let's watch. This is the first part of a three-part illusion. What do you see? Well, there's a window and it's turning, except it stops and reverses direction. So the window is oscillating back and forth. That's what most people see when they look at this illusion, except that's not what the window is actually doing. It's on this turntable and it is rotating continuously. This is known as the Ames window illusion. You know, the window itself is not a rectangle, but a trapezoid. You can see this side here is much shorter than this side over here, and that is essential to the illusion. Also essential, it is shaded to make it look 3D, but it's actually just a two-dimensional card with the same image on both sides. So now that you know exactly what this object looks like and what it's doing, can you correctly perceive the rotation rather than the oscillation? I still can't. It still looks to my brain like this window is going back and forth. Okay, here's an idea. I'm going to attach this Rubik's Cube to the short side of the trapezoid so we can keep track of it as it goes around. You ready? Okay. Okay, the Rubik's Cube is going around. Everything seems normal, but now what is that? It looks like the Rubik's Cube is continuing to go around, but the window is oscillating back and forth. There goes the Rubik's Cube around the back, I don't even know what's happening. Whoa! Look at that! It looks like the Rubik's Cube is out drifting by itself, out in front of the whole illusion. What is happening? Okay, new plan. I'm going to take off the Rubik's Cube and I'm going to put a ruler right through the middle of the window. And so we can't possibly be fooled by the illusion, right? Okay, here we go. Okay, the ruler is rotating around but wait, now the window is going backwards. Whoa, whoa, the ruler is going through the window. It is doing things which I know are physically impossible, but that is how my brain is seeing it. Look, here we go again. The the ruler is turning around with the window, but right about here, the window starts going backwards, but the ruler keeps coming. What is even, like? how is this possible? this doesn't make any sense. But that is the way my brain interprets this. It clearly prefers the illusion over seeing what's really happening, the continuous rotation. What an incredible
0: concept. First, let me just say God is not looking to trick us. This this illustration was about our perception of facts. Okay, just be, We think that just because we have facts, we perceive the facts and the conclusion of the facts correctly. But what we see in this illustration is that sometimes we are not in the right position to rightly interpret the facts. What is, what is really going on here? And that we come to a false conclusion, even about God based upon where we're standing when we're looking at the events of our life, when we're looking at what's going on in the world, when we see the things that are taking place. And not all of this takes place out of some evil heart that somebody's trying to distort the knowledge of God. It's not all that way. Some of us have gotten this distortion about framing of God honestly. We've just looked around us, and it got messed up in our heads. Yeah, I, so I look for some ways that it gets messed up. Here's one. I Googled the Westboro Baptist Church. Now, if you're familiar with the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, it's a bunch of goofballs that um, commit hate crimes against homosexuals, Jews, and Muslims, all in the name of God. They protest American soldiers' funerals. They They are just like totally crazy. Uh, So much so, if you want to find out more about them, you can go to their website and now buckle up. Their website is godhatesfags.com, okay? All right, that's a real church that says that they believe that in God and they believe in Jesus and they believe in the resurrection of the dead and all that stuff, but their framing of God is all wrong. But for some of us and some of the people that are watching and the atheist and the agnostic, they look at stuff like that. They look at stuff like history where we see a bunch of Christians attacking Muslims in, in the holy wars and you see this fighting go back and forth and it's like, I can't believe in a God that would have these people trying to exterminate each other. Well, you know, I don't think God was involved in any of it. I think this was people distorting a framing of God. I know that's, that's not... What the scriptures was talking about. For some of us, we have seen the abuse of children at the hands of priests and pastors. I'm from the Boston area, though it's been almost 40 years. I still can't get it all out of me, but I'm trying. By the grace of God, I'm getting it, Keith. Don't don't judge me. Don't frame me. I, I'll get there. I'll be a southerner. Um, but but up in the Boston area, we had an epidemic of priests molesting. Uh, Children, And it happened while I was there, happened in my parochial school that I went to. I went to an all boys Catholic school and it happened to my brother. And so years after that, my brother was dying from pancreatic cancer. And I remember asking him before he died, I said, I said, how do you feel about God? And he looked at me with eyes as as convinced as possible. He said, I friggin' hate God, and he didn't use the word frickin'. Now, as a kind of an evangelical type of guy that I am, I'm kind of like, whoa, you know, that's a major statement. So I'm thinking about, okay, wait a minute. Let Let me frame the question differently. How do you feel about Jesus? And he said, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I can identify with his sufferings on the cross. I totally get, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's like, why did he get God wrong? Well, because up until my father accepted Christ in his life and, and was transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, my father was really harsh to us. I've got fake teeth in my mouth from my father. He raised eight children. Seven of us were boys. He was a World War II vet that probably didn't get away unscathed from the effects of, of the Battle of the Bulge and you know, the bringing down of Frankfurt and all the other stuff that he went through. And so our concept, when we learned about God and we learned about, we're supposed to look up to heaven and pray, our father who art in heaven, that the concept of our earthly father spanking us and and being angry at us, it was hard to frame him, God, any other way. Some of us have seen crazy biblical interpretations that have led to people doing kooky things. You can go to some church in the Appalachians and, and find them picking up snakes and handling them and letting themselves be bitten by snakes and because of some weird framing um, that's going on. Then there's always the faithful nut job that walks into a shopping mall or to a, a movie theater and shoots people and then gets arrested and dragged out and then quotes some verse out of Leviticus and then tells everybody that God told him to do it, okay? Every piece of this is being slid to us about this is really what God is. But what these are is whether it comes from an image of the sky or the image of the earth or an image from under the earth, God is telling us, don't reshape me based upon anybody's other opinion other than the one that I give you of myself. So a lot of us have gotten this into us. But it doesn't have to be that extreme. We have experiences of hardship injuries to our body cancers divorces moral failures within ourselves sicknesses losses of life genuine hard core tragedies in our families and we begin to reframe god we hate god because of our fathers We think God is cruel because he allows hurricanes and we totally forget the the innumerable number of sunny days that we experience, but how could a good God possibly allow an earthquake or a hurricane? To add to that, we hear concepts from every pulpit around America about hell and judgment and we begin to frame God. This is usually where I have conversations with atheists is because they, they wanna get me, they don't wanna talk about Big Bang cosmology, they don't wanna talk about any of that stuff because we got them there, okay? They don't wanna, you don't wanna go into science with this because I, I think we got you there. So what we wanna, what happens is usually, well, hell. How can you say that God is a good God and hell exists? That and they'll conjure up some um, Dante's Inferno image of hell and people writhing and worms eating through them, and that the idea that God is this ogre and he's in charge and I'll show you for sinning on my watch. I'm going to stoke the fires of hell and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I tell you what: if you frame hell and then try to interpret God from hell, uh, you will come up with a screwy concept of God. I mean, it he, he, he really don't look good, okay? If you try to frame God by framing hell, you will end up with something that is totally messed up. So let me just, let's just take that one for instance, because that's, that's one that pretty much hits all of us. See, you don't start trying to wrap your head around the concept of hell and then frame God from your understanding of that concept. You start with wrapping your head around the concept of a loving, compassionate, just, gracious and forgiving God, and then try to frame your understanding of the concept of hell. See, a lot of people in a lot of churches are kind of like, yeah, we're going to do away with hell. I know it's in the Bible, but we're going to do away with it. Why? Because people are having a hard time with God because of hell. Uh, Well, I'm going to show you why there's a fallacy in all all that reasoning and what really happens. And it it happens because we make a mathematical problem. Uh, We we fail at mathematics. So if you're an agnostic and an atheist because of hell, let me welcome you back. And now I'm going to use our our agreeable science called mathematics. Um, Let me show you a math problem that's busting up the internet. Okay, this is wrecking Al Gore's internet right here. And, and, and uh, as you look at this problem, you can come up with one or two answers. Please don't spend all, don't check me out and now start surfing the web, trying to come up with the right answer or arguing with your spouse. You can come up with the answer nine or you can come up with the answer one. Okay online, there are PhDs that argue about the answer to this equation. It's amazing. They argue it and it has something. The real problem is caused because the notation is not correct. It, this is not really how this problem should have been, been written but when we get into a problem like this most of you are running through some algebraic rule that you learned uh and and you you could call b-e-d-m-s-m-a-s or p-e-d-m-a-s which means brackets or parentheses exponents division multiplication addition and subtraction see if you don't operate by some sort of rule and have that in place, and then work from left to right, you're gonna come up with the wrong answers. Oh, you've got all the facts. You've got objective numbers. These numbers have real values. But how you begin to work the problem, the order of operation will determine of whether or not you come out with the right answer. Now, let me just tell you about this. This guy, it can turn out to be number nine. if you're operating based upon a rule that got changed in 1917. But the problem is the way that it's written is whether or not the two is really in association with the one plus two and that that should be done together and the two should never be separated from and you do that multiplication first. But this dividing the two from the six first But so, these two mathematicians argued about the implied meaning of the the equation and the literal meaning of the equation. What am I saying about all this? You can have absolute values, but it's really going to come down to the order of operation and even that we can argue about. So, if you start with hell to derive your answer about God I am telling you, you are doing the math all wrong. You're starting on the right and working left. You've got to start with God. The scriptures start with God. The scriptures start with a God who creates a thing called paradise. It starts with a God who walks with his Adam and Eve in paradise. It starts with good news. And then because of mankind, it turns into bad news. But then we've got in the gospels, the gospels start off and and, and he's presenting us the right way to read the equation about God. If you get hell wrong, I can tell you, if you've gotten hell wrong, you've gotten God wrong. When somebody tells me what they think hell is, I can tell whether or not they think rightly about God because the math was done wrong. Let me give you an example uh, that you may encounter on a daily basis. So let's pretend you're walking around uh, Walmart and, you know, you're coming out of the fishing department and you're kind of going and, and you remember the grandkids and you want to maybe swing by the toy aisle and you're going down the, the toy aisle and all of a sudden you experience what I, what I call a walk-up-on. Okay, just kind of remember that phrase, a walk-up-on. You're just minding your own business and you go down this aisle and all of a sudden you encounter a woman spanking her five-year-old son. Okay, you're like, back it up. Back, 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 back it up, back, back it up, back, back, you know, I mean, you're just like, I am like, I want to get out of here. But you're there. I tell you what, within 10 seconds, you have framed the situation. You've seen this, you've seen the child, you've seen the mother, and you see the spanking going on. Now, how did you frame her? You walked up on this. Oh, well, some of you might have framed her as a child abuser. Some of you might have framed immediately, oh, that's old school parenting. You know, that's what my my pop used to do to us. Some of you might have framed this person as an angry person. You might have walked up onto this and framed them as a person who was abused as a child. Or some of you might have come down the aisle and saw this kid spanking because you heard the kid crying or fussing from three hours away and you're like, about time you spanked him, (laughs) you know? You might frame them as a diligent parent. Um, You might even feel sorry for them as, uh, you got a strong-willed child, huh? As a rowdy kid. Maybe you framed them as a parent who has tried everything Maybe you went even further and said, oh, I bet it's a single mom. And I bet this is the only day she could go shopping and this kid just wouldn't cooperate and she's got three other things she's got to do before the end of the day and she's just having a bad day. We went from child abuser framing (laughs) all the way, this poor woman (laughs) having a bad day, doing life on her own. I'm telling you, Unless you do the math right, this happens every single time with God. People are notorious for framing God as a tyrannical org because of isolated, let's see that phrase again, walk-up-ons. And they say, well, give me an instance of it. Classical atheist agnostic argument. Well, if God's good, then what about the Amalekites? You know? Um, I love it. They always bring up the story of the Amalekites. The story of the Amalekites, Joshua goes into uh, Jericho and uh, the walls fall down and he goes in and he's told to kill everybody. It's like, dang. That's a walk-up on. That's a really walk-up on. Okay? And, and people care about the Amalekites. Have you seen one website to raise money for the retribution of the evils done to the Amalekites? Nobody cares about the Amalekites. It's just a walk-up on story. It's like, well, God can't be good if he said to kill everybody. Well, okay, let's try to, let's see what could possibly happen. Well, let's see. There are about 13 to 14 other nation, tribe nations, that are watching Israel go against Jericho. And they are all up there polishing off their knives and their swords to see how it goes with Jericho because everybody's heard stories about Israel and what happened in Egypt. So, so Israel doesn't just have one enemy, they've got another 12 to 13 hiding in the bush behind them that are ready to jump out. So God says, hey, listen, when you fight this nation, I want you to wipe them out. Why could God possibly do that? Because if you don't wipe them out, you're gonna have to fight and kill 12 other tribes. It will be better for us to deploy a little aggressiveness here to avoid needless death in some other place. I just reframed God in a total different way than maybe you would have framed God. You don't know, how long did God speak to the people of Jericho? For 400 years, we're told, that he reached out to the people of Jericho to kind of get them to be his people and to be a part of what God was doing to bless them and to give them pride. And and, and they just said, nope, nope, nope. We want the gods of the heaven, of, of the skies, the gods of the earth and the gods underneath the ocean. And he he held out his hands all day long to his stubborn people and they wouldn't do it. See, but we walk up on the story. If God's a good God, then why would he have done that? And we do the same thing when we hear scriptures about hell. I can't believe in a God that would send somebody to hell. You know, it's like not believing in a God because, because we get on the bad side of gravity. You know, just because gravity skins you but yet gravity can also be used with aerodynamics to lift an aircraft up and fly it around the planet. Just because we can have bad encounters with gravity doesn't nullify its existence. Therefore, just because we see walk-on events when, when we have a skin-your-face, skin-your-knee experience with God doesn't mean we can rightly frame them just from that walk off situation. The problem is not the truth about God, but our point of view our biases, our exposure, and our experiences um, when we frame God. Too too often, we just assume that God is no greater than the sum of all of our experiences. We frame God kind of arrogantly, based upon, you know, it's like me with my bad back. Well, if God's really a good God, then why wouldn't he heal my three ruptured discs and let me go mountain biking again, you know? It's like, okay you're gonna, that's it. So it comes down to mountain biking for you, Paul, okay? Just mountain biking, framing, you know, you're gonna frame God based upon that. So what happens when we do have a lot of bad experiences and we do encounter abuse, We're, we do live in a nation that's kind of gone a little screwy and, and we do see hurricanes and tsunamis wipe out things. What, what do we do? What do I do? Well, when I ever wonder about God, I seek out the right framing of God in Jesus. Um, when, I, when I can't figure out like the flood story, you know, I can't wrap my head around that all the time. It's like, yeah, I really don't know. Oh, how about this crazy story? Um, they, we're told in Genesis, the sons of God came down and had relations with the son of man. And they created this tribe called the Nephilim and they were giants and they walked on the earth. And and I'm kind of just like got a coffee in my hand and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds kind of screwy. I had no idea. That's a walk-up on kind of story. It's true, but it's, it's, I I really can't. So where do I go when my back hurts? When things don't work out for me? Where do I go to rightly frame God? I go back to Jesus. I love what John said in John 1, uh, verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Then he says this, no one has seen God at any time. Basically, nobody can frame God rightly. Nobody has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, referring to Jesus, he has explained him, exegeted him, revealed him. So when I get confused in a verse here and there, you know, and, and, and not, sh- I'm not really sure, because you know what, when I look at truth, I think it's a square, but it turns out to be a trapezoid. You know, it, it, it's not exactly operating the way that I think it should operate from my viewpoint. Is it oscillating or is it going around? Sometimes you don't have the privilege of the point of view. But the question about the whole thing, about whether it was oscillating and go around, we may differ whether or not we saw it or not, but what did we all see? What did we all see? The window. See, and that's what the gospel brings us back to. What did we all see? What do we see about God? We can argue all day long about homosexuality. We can argue all day long about the existence of hell. And we can argue all day long whether or not you were predestined or free will is significant. Because we do this in the church. We argue about these all these things. I see it oscillating, you see it circling. It's like, well, one of us has gotta be wrong. No, I think both of us might not have a clear perspective. Paul said, we see dimly, like looking through a clouded window or in a mirror. We see in part, we know in part, but then when that which is you know, true and, and, and fullness of truth comes, when I go to heaven, I will know as I even know myself. But until then, we're all kind of got a little, we're seeing oscillations. So this is why I go back to Jesus. I, whenever I get confused, there are many things about, that can be said about God from the scriptures. And I need you to be, hear me say this the right way. They're all true. But the truth about God that has the most fullness and most robust framing is God in Jesus you say well wait a minute so you're saying we should just read the gospels no Jesus is not more true he is more truth okay he's we're not nullifying anything here he's not more true than what Moses but he is more truth so that doesn't make any sense well it will Arithmetic is true. It is simply and fundamentally true. But if you want to measure the acceleration of a rocket traveling through the sky, arithmetic is not going to get it done. You're going to need calculus. Does calculus render arithmetic untrue? No. It is just a fullness of an arithmetic truth brought out in even fuller more of that truth and we send a guy to the moon see whenever i get in question about hell and issues about marriage and stuff like that and and it's kind of like god what's going on i don't try to just figure out those issues i go back to what do i know about god because when i let's take hell for instance when i go back to and I look at hell, after I have rightly framed God in Christ, I know this, he loved the world so much that he gave the most precious thing to him that I would never have given up. That he took upon himself every failure of humanity and offered us, without any price being paid by us, to have complete and utter forgiveness so that we one day in, in, in union with him could experience an eternal existence where we never experience any horror ever again. That every wrong is righted and every injustice is paid for. And that in the middle of this angst of this God just yearning to, to have relationship with us and to restore the God with us, he realizes that some people are just They don't want it. And if you think for a second that that doesn't break God's heart, that he's up there like this going, I told you so. If you didn't do it my way, I'm gonna fry your butt. If that's how you frame God, did you forget to read about the cross? Did you forget to hear the words, Father forgive them for they know not what they're doing? Did you forget to hear the cry of him saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the whispers of the Father, so that they won't be forsaken any longer. When you work all that, did you work the math from left to right? Did you do the parentheses first? But if you tried to frame God on hell, I guarantee you, you came up with the wrong answer. It's not only unbiblical, it's unscientific, and it lacks mathematical integrity. I love what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, I still don't get it. It's like, wait a minute, so we frame you and then that means we're seeing the Father. So Philip says to him, Lord, just show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, not he who knows about hell has seen the Father he who has known heaven has known the father no is that he who has seen jesus has seen the father a book in the bible called the book of hebrews in chapter one it says that jesus was the expressed image of god and and that's kind of a interesting phrase in the in the greek language it's the idea of like george washington on a quarter but it goes even further that it's not a stamping it's the expressed image. So it would be equivalent to you having a quarter and when you reach in your pocket to pull out the change all of a sudden George Washington is looking at you going, hey, it's like it would be an alive image. That's what Jesus is. He is the expressed image of the Father. So I don't know where your image of God went in the middle of all this Republican versus Democrats concept of marriage, all the issues that we fight and argue about. Sometimes it's hard to figure out, is it going around, is it oscillating? Go back to Jesus and discover who God is in the life of Jesus. So what is it that I've gotten right about God? Because I could argue with you about theology all day long and I, and I would love it, it's a blast. What have I gotten right about God? Because. That's what you got to get right. Um, and it comes to me out of 2 Corinthians verse 5, starting verse 19. This is kind of like my life, hope. This is how I see God. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He made him, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, to take our stuff on him so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You get that, you get God right. You get that, you'll cry over hell also. And you'll realize that hell is is not something that God's excited about. You get that right, you'll get you right. Because once you get God right, it not only fixes your knowledge about him, it not only fixes your knowledge about hell and heaven, it not only fixes your knowledge about how you should treat your neighbor, but it it fixes your knowledge about how you think about yourself. Because some of you frame yourself in such an ugly light. And God loves you so much. And invites you to step into the frame and to be framed by him next week we're going to continue to frame god as revealed in christ i tell you this framing will change how you handle conflict it will it will it will help you understand and explain hell if somebody asks you the framing will empower you beyond the experiences of the natural world you'll learn the order of operation mathematically scripturally it's so important in math it's even more important In scripture I've told you that the news stations come to me sometimes when we flood and they'll ask me about pastor what's your stand on homosexuality and uh, they'll want me they'll want me to frame homosexuality and I tell them I will not give you an answer why not do you have a stand oh yeah I, I have a biblical stand but I will not allow you Take that little bit of framing, and then reframe my concept of God. I will give you an answer, if we can sit down with a cup of coffee, and for an hour, you give me an hour, to reveal to you the God of heaven found in the face of Jesus Christ. And then we can talk about the wrong behavior of mankind. But only, only in the light and the framing of the grace of God seen and discovered in the face of Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's the homosexual or if it's me. Unless the framing of God is right in Christ, we all fall short of the glory of God. So as we close today, we're we're closing in a simple act of framing. Communion. You know, Pastor, could you explain hell to me more? Really, can you, you explain this doctrine over here to me? Uh, how about not? How about we just get God right today? So when our communion service come up and they're they're presenting you the bread and the cup what they're presenting you with are the tools of right framing we could have offered you the 10 commandments of Moses and say go home and shave with this you know just rub these up against yourself and see if they work for you But that's not what God said those are true but the table he invites us to to frame him rightly is the table of Christ So let me encourage you, no matter what you think about all the other subjects, this is the framing subject that is most important. What do you think about God? And today God is offering you what to think. I love you. I laid down everything to be in relationship with you. Father, thank you so much for this moment. God, thank you for the continuity of science, mathematics, and scripture. Thank you, God for going to the very ends of the earth to make yourself known in the face of Christ. Thank you so much that you love us. I thank you, God, that you hate the, the concept of hell just as much as we do. But God, you have offered us so much abundantly more. You've offered us life and life eternal. So, Father, as we come to this table, we come and we lay aside our perception. Is it oscillating or is it going around? We don't even need an answer to that. We just know it's a window. I may not know everything about Christianity, but I know it's Christ, the hope of glory. And today, we renew our framing in Christ.